are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos only on 101.9 High FM. One on my nine, hi, and this is Soul to Soul. Back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kedish, Parshas Vayera, Tav Shin Gimel, and as always, an incredibly warm welcome to all of our radio families. Thank you so, so much for taking the time on Friday afternoon to put on your radios, put on your devices, somehow stop what you're doing, or maybe carry on what you're doing, but at least focus minimally on what's going on on the radio and, and allowing yourself to be, have your mind penetrated and to learn something. Learn something about Shabbos, learn something about Torah, learn something about this week's Pasha that hopefully will make a difference in, in our lives. So the highlight of this week's Pasha, of course, is Bo'elo Kim Nisa Avram. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tested Avram. Avram Avinu and his son Yitzchak Avinu merited to achieve the highest level of Avedis Hashem, which is Kiddushin Shemayim, sanctifying Akadosh Baruch Hu's name, with their preparedness to shecht his son and for Yitzchak to be slaughtered for the sake of Akadosh Baruch Hu. In the end, of course, Hashem dispatched a heavenly angel to instruct Avram to desist. Right, Akadosh Baruch Hu didn't. Require, nor Akadosh Baruch Hu even encourage human sacrifice. It's far better and probably more difficult to live a life of Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying Hashem's name in our every demeanor, right, our every action, than probably even to die for Akadosh Baruch Hu. So the Balatanya writes <laughs> that in order to sanctify HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name, it's not necessary to give up one's life. Rather, living an exalted life of Kiddush Shem Shemayim is far more acceptable. We were sent down to this world to live, to glorify HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. If circumstances demand, as they have, unfortunately, too often throughout our tumultuous history, then, <coughs> if necessary, we give up our lives for him. Right, the Beis HaLevi uses this idea of Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying Hashem's name, to explain why the Akedah, the barley of Yitzchak, is considered Avram Avinu's Nisoyan trial, rather than Yitzchak's. It was Yitzchak. Right, who stretched out his neck to be to be slaughtered? He was the one who was prepared to die. He had a whole life ahead of him. Right, he was not yet even married, and he wasn't even forty years old. He hadn't even been able to establish his own legacy. To give it all up requires superhuman courage and devotion. Yet his nesayon is viewed as secondary to that of Avraham Avinu. The Beis HaLevi explains that while Yitzchak was willing to give up his life, it was a one-time test. Once he passed the test, it was over because his life would be over. Avram, on the other hand, was relegated to live with his decision to sacrifice Yitzchak. The pain and suffering that he would endure was beyond belief. In addition, he would have to return home and explain to his wife, Sarah, what he did and why he would have to face the community. right? And all of his students who probably could not understand his, his actions and would look at him askance. Actually, by remaining alive under such conditions, Avram Avinu would be almost like dying a thousand times, a thousand times over. The survivors 
that was spared from the Nazis' final solution, sanctified Hashem's name in this manner. They returned to what was left of their towns and villages. In some communities, only a handful returned. In some, it was only one. And in some, no one returned. After sustaining such a, a pat, such a slap from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? After experiencing the most inhuman atrocities, it, it was a, a, a wonder that they even returned sane, right? They went one step further. They returned fully committed with their faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu intact and their determination to rebuild the Jewish people stronger than ever before. That is Kiddush Hashem and Kiddush HaChayim. Right? We are tested every day and with every step that we take. We do not know what the next moment will bring. Yet, we go about our lives with deeply rooted emuna in our Kaddish Baruch Hu. That is Kiddush HaChayim. This is 11.95 FM, Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with so much more. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev, Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Vayera, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimel, the week of the Shabbos project, the week where we really are turning around and seeing how can we enhance, how can we improve, how can we get more connected to, to, to Shabbos. I'd like, since we usually do to connect the Pasha, maybe we'll be able to connect the, the Pasha to the concept of Shabbos and particularly the Shabbos of the coming of Mashiach, which we all so eagerly await. <coughs> this Ishpash, of course, is Vayera. And chronologically, the Pasha begins with the events that transpired immediately after Avram and his household performed the mitzvah of Brismila. In fact, the very first Pasuk, of the Pasha says, Vayera elav Hashem mamre. Right? Hashem appeared to Avram on the plains of Mamre. And he was sitting at the entrance of his tent, of his tent in the heat of the day. The Balatulim points out that if you take the last letter of the words, Vayera, a love Hashem. It's Aleph, the Fumayera, the Vav of a love, and the He of Hashem. Aleph, Vav, He is Eva, which means to desire. He says this teaches us that Akadish Baruch Hu desired to dwell in Avram's, in Avram's tent. Now, in his own, in his own unique way, the Yismach Moshe elaborates on the significance of those letters Aleph Vav Hey. And he refers us to a pasuk later in, in Sefer Shmois, where after the war against Amalek, it says, Vayoyner, Hashem said, Kiyod al ka, for there is a hand on the throne of Yud, and then A of Hashem, Milcham al Hashem Bamalek. Hashem maintains a war against Amalek, Midordor, from generation to generation. Rashi comments, what is the significance of the term case instead of Kisei, and the fact that it doesn't say Kisei, which is the usual spelling for throne or chair. Also, the shame of Hashem, divine name, is the violin half. Kiyad al kais just the yud and the hay, the vav and the hay are missing. And he says, Hakadosh swore that his name is not whole and his throne is not whole until the name of Amalek is completely eradicated. 
When Amalek's name will be eradicated, then the name will be whole and the throne of HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be, will be whole. In other words, as long as the, the name of Amalek exists, the letter Aleph of the word Kisei and the two letters Vav Hey, the second half of the name of Yudke Vavke, Hashem's name, will be absent. When Amalek is destroyed and eradicated at the time, Metzeshem of the future redemption, the Gula, then those missing letters will be restored to their proper place. With this in mind, so the, the Masha in Menachas, uh, interprets the Pasuk, Pasuk in, in Tehillim, it says, Kibochar Hashem Bitsiyon, because that Kodesh has chosen, uh, a Tsiyon, Iva Lamoishavloi. He has, Iva, he has desired it for his, for his dwelling place. In other words, when that Kodesh finally chooses to dwell in Tsiyon, at the time of the future Gula, so then he's going to restore the Eva, the letters Aleph Vav to their proper to their proper place. Now, during the times of Avram, Amalek did not even exist in the world at that at that time, right? Nonetheless, before Avram publicized and spread. The, the pure emuna in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu's dominion throughout the world, the letters Aleph Vav He were also absent from the Kisei. And the name Yuke Vav Ke, right, was also missing due to the widespread kfira, the heresy that prevailed in the world. After Avraham Avinu fulfilled the mitzvah of Mila, however, right, which of course was became public knowledge, then again those missing letters were restored because the Shekhinah came down into this earth by reestablishing the integrity of the throne and the name of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. This then is the message conveyed at the beginning of the parsha. As a result of Avram performing the brismila, the letters Alevave, the first. Let's perhaps try to present something I think is really, really a wonderful thought. Said we uh, said before regarding the letters Alevave that they're only going to be restored to their proper place after Amalek is completely eradicated at the time of the future Gula. Now, there's a pasuk in our pasha related to the birth of, of Yitzchak. Perch of Aleph pasuk Gimel it says, "Vayikra Avram Hashem es es benoi hanoiladloi." Avram called the name of the son that was born to him, Asheyoladoi Sarah, which Sarah, his wife, gave birth to him. She called him Yitzchak. Vatayim es Sarah. And Sarah said, Kodesh has made laughter for me. Kala whoever hears, Yitzachakli, will laugh at me. And Rashi comes, what does it mean Yitzachakli, will laugh for me? That means, will rejoice over me. Not laugh at me, will laugh for me and will rejoice over, over me. She was referring to that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu said previously to Avram, You know that your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you shall call him Yitzchak, and I will fulfill my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Rashi there comments, what does it mean you shall name him Yitzchak? And again he says, on account of the laughter. Now we need to try to explain the the significance and the nature 
of this unique laughter associated with the birth of Yitzchak. Why is Tafki's name Yitzchak? Additionally, we need to explain why Sarah repeated herself by saying, right, Hashem has made laughter for me. Whoever hears will laugh for me. Why a double lashon? Perhaps she intended justifying calling her son Yitzchak, beginning with the letter Yud, indicating a future event rather than Tzchak, which is in the present tense. Even so, why was he named on account of laughter that would happen in, in, the, in the future? Furthermore, we know that a person's name reflects his very, very essence and nature. In the words of the Gemara in, in Brochus, says the Shema Gorim, a person's name causes and influences future occurrences in his life. Writes also the Medrash in Yalkut Shemoni, uh, 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 says that had the generations been deemed worthy, HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have named each and every individual uh, from his name. We would have known his qualities and his deeds. Regarding the name of Yitzchak, the Torah informs us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself named him. As per the Pasuk says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, right, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you shall call him Yitzchak. So what does this God-given name, Yitzchak, reveal about his nature and future and future deeds? We're going to come back and answer this question and, and really say something quite, quite beautiful, I think. But we'll be back in a moment. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. Please, please do stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, back on your radio. This is Soul to Soul, on air of Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Vayera. We are talking about the name that was given to the second of our patriarchs, to Yitzchak. Yitzchak from the word laughter. Yitzchak, he will laugh. And we ask, what kind of a name is that? And why was it given in account of a future event? He will. He will laugh. And just to kind of a little bit stronger, the question is actually amplified by the fact that the, the Svarim, HaKadoshim, Pashat and many of our other Svarim teach us that Avram Ovinu served HaKadosh Baruch Hu with the Midah of Chesed. Yitzchak Avinu served HaKadosh Baruch with the Midah of Gevura, of Din. And Yaakov Avinu served HaKadosh Baruch with the Midah of Teferis, which is related to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mercy, to Rachamim. If Yitzchak Avinu personifies Gevura Din, strict justice, it seems strange that HaKadosh Baruch would name him Yitzchak, a name which connotes laughter and joy. Seemingly, these qualities are diametrically opposed to Din Gevura, strict judgment, strength, and, and restraint. Laughter would seem to be exactly the opposite of that. So, there's a fascinating uh, explanation. Let's refer to the psukim in last week's Pasha, in Pasha's Lech Lecha, where Avram says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hey, see, you haven't given me any children. And see, my, my steward, Eliezer, he's going to unhurt me. It says, suddenly, the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu came to Avram, saying, right, this one is not going to inherit you. The one who shall come forth from within you, he shall inherit you. And Hashem took Avram outside and said, gaze now, look at the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And Hashem said to him, so shall be your offspring. Rashi comments 
that according to a simple interpretation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu took Avram from his tent outside to see the stars. But according to its Midrachic interpretation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Avram, said, Avram, abandon your astrological forecasts, which you have seen in the, in the constellations, indicating that you are not destined to bear a son. Avram, which was his current name and status, will not have a son. But I'm going to change your name to Avraham, which is your new name and status. He will have a son. Likewise, Sarai will not give birth, but Sarah will give birth. I will give you both different names and then your astrologic forecast constellation will change. Or alternatively, Hashem took Avram out of the space of this world and elevated him above the stars. And that's why the Pasuk actually employs the word for gazing, which usually looks looking from above downward. Because Avram was above. According to this Midrachic interpretation, he was above the stars. Now, after, uh, uh, if we look at, at Rashi's source in the Medrash Tanchuma, it appears that the two interpretations presented by Rashi are actually, the, they're actually related one, one to another. In other words, the reason HaKadosh Baruch Hu removed Avram from the confines of his earthly existence and elevated him to a vantage point above the stars was to demonstrate to him, I guess figuratively, that his destiny does not depend on the constellations. He is beyond their control and can alter them at his will. In fact, the Medrash says as follows. It says, for these nations that you are possess, for these na- that you are possessing, they listen to astrologers and diviners. But as for you, not so, as HaKadosh Baruch Hu, your God told you. Right? But as for you, not so, refers to Avram who consulted his horoscope and saw that according to the stars, Avram and Sarai were not going to have children. Right? What did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do to them? He took them outside and said, gaze up towards the heavens. He elevated him above the canopy of heaven. Forget the prediction that Avram will not bear children. Avram will bear children. And that Sarai will not bear children. Sarah will bear children. Because said to him, you are beyond the control of the constellations. Right? He said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he trusted, Abraham Vino trusted in Hashem. Moshe says to Klaiso, Avram abandoned his horoscope and no longer paid attention to it. You should do, you should do the same. Right? Because Loikain, Hashem hasn't given you to look at horoscopes. Hashem controls and, and, and deals with you directly, not through the intervention of the constellations. The connection between these two interpretations is actually explicit. In this Medrash, Hashem elevated Avram above the canopy of the heavens, right, which contains the 12 zodiac signs, in order to show him that he controls them and can change them at will. In this merit, he will succeed in bearing children despite the forecast of, of his horoscope. This explains so nicely the significance of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's remark to Avram, so shall your offspring be. He was teaching him a fundamental principle regarding his relationship with Kaiso throughout all future generations. 
Just as Avraham Avinu, the first Jew in human history, could only father a son by transcending the realm of nature, so to the existence of Klai throughout history defies completely and totally the laws of nature. The Gemara expresses reality as follows. The Gemara in Shabbos on Daf Kuf Nun Vav, it says, from where do we know that the constellations hold no power over Yisrael? Ein Mazel Yisrael. As it says, by they took Avram outside. Avram said, Master of the universe, I have already consulted my horoscope and I see that I am not fit to bear a son. Kodesh said to him, Avram, your horoscope, uh, sorry, uh, uh, I says to him, Avram, leave your horoscope, right? For the constellations hold no power over Israel. So when Kodesh elevated Avram of Minu above the stars and constellations, he said to him, so shall be your offspring. They also will not be able to survive and endure based on the laws of nature. Their survival will depend entirely on their devotion to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who will then elevate them above the realm of, of nature. So now, let's see the words of the, the Vilna Gaon in his commentary on Megillus Esther, on the Pasuk, in Esther Perik Gimel, says, Hippil poor Hua Goyral Lefne Haman. Haman, in deciding when he should destroy the Jewish nation, cast a poor, the lot, in Haman's presence. The Goyin deduces from this Pasuk that all of the zodiac signs oppose Israel. They can only succeed by transcending the constellations. And he writes as follows. It's known that Yisrael is not associated with any of the heavenly constellations. All of the constellations oppose Klai Yisrael's existence. For based on the signs of the Zodiac, Avraham Avinu would not have had a son. He saw that According to his horoscope, he was incapable of having a child. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, however, elevated him above the constellations, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to him, so will be your children. Thus, according to the constellations, Yisrael also should not exist. So there is no constellation associated with, with Klaisha. This is quite incredible. Inside of the Goyen agrees magnificently with the teachings of the great Rav Yonason Ibishitz. Rav Yonason Ibishitz in his Sefer Yairis Devash says as follows, he says quite, quite emphatically, astrology is Yisrael's enemy. <laughs> According to astrology, Avram and Sarah were not supposed to bear children, all of their descendants, according to astrology, would never have been chas v'shalom. So let's now just embellish this based on a teaching from the Bnei Yisachar. Bnei Yisachar teaches that Yisrael possessed the power to elevate themselves above the constellations and the constraints of nature by means of their devotion to the letters of the Torah with which HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the constellations and nature. And this is expressed in the Medrash, which says, the Torah says, I was, right, the artisan's tool employed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu would look in the Torah and create the world. Therefore, when Yisrael are devoted to the letters of the Torah, which are on a higher level than the constellations, seeing as they were created with those letters, 
They possess the capacity to alter the constellations. So now we can begin to understand what the going is, is saying. That all of the constellations oppose Klaisa, or perhaps as the Yaris Devash expressed it, astrology is Yisrael's enemy. Right? For the stars and constellations yearn for Yisrael to elevate themselves and cling to the letters of the Torah so that Yisrael will infuse them with Kedusha from the letters of the Torah with which they were created. Therefore, when Yisrael declines spiritually, and fall under the influence and control of the stars, the stars and constellations hate them and become their enemies. They do not want Yisrael to succeed under these circumstances. They want Klai Yisrael to understand that they must study Torah so that they will once again rise above the influence and control of the zodiac, of the zodiac signs. Right, and we know that the, uh, we, if we, we can take that and, and, and try to interpret the remark of Sarah at the birth of, of Yitzhak's birth. Hashem has made laughter for me. And there's a beautiful principle gleaned from the teaching of Rav Tzvi Heresh of Zidshev in his Sefer Sume Rabba Seitoy. And his, his words are based on a concept often found in a, in a, in a Asfarim that comes from the Ramak Spadis Rimonim. And he says the laws of nature come from the name Elohim. Right? For the Gematria, Elohim equals Hateva, nature. In contrast, miracles and supernatural facts stem from the name Yudke Vavke that sustains and supersedes all, all realities. So accordingly, if a person engages in sort of mundane manners in keeping with the laws of nature, then he's liable to evoke, unfortunately, Mida Sadin against himself, Chasushal. Right? The source of the laws of nature. To avoid this situation, one should not rely on nature, but should place one's trust totally in the name Yudke Vavke that transcends the laws of nature and supersedes all realities. In this manner, the forces of din can can be can be diminished. Therefore, he explains and interprets the teaching uh, of the Zoya that that uh, that says, when Hashem says, "I'm going to take you to me as a nation, and I shall be a God, a Kim, for you, and you shall know that I am Yudke Vavke, you Hashem." Because every Jew must learn how to unite the two names, Yudke Vavke and Elohim, in keeping with the Pasuk in Pashas, uh, we say every day, you shall know and take into your heart, Ki Hashem Elohim, that Hashem Yudke Vavke, He is Elohim. In the heavens above and on the earth below, there is none other. This pasuk that teaches us that when a person functions by the laws of nature, hateva, right, that emanates from the name Elohim. So you should trust and believe solely in the name Yudke Vavke that supersedes the laws of nature and controls nature. In that way, he unites these two sacred names of Hashem and Lakim and mitigates the force of Din. Right? And, uh, and, uh, which is associated with the name of, of Elohim. So this then enlightens us what Sarah was saying 
When Yitzchak was born, she said, As we have learned, Yitzchak's birth was a supernatural phenomenon. Avram was not able to father a child, and Sarah was barren. His birth demonstrates that this continuation of the bloodline of the people of Kaiser from Avram and Sarah was above and beyond the laws of nature. Therefore, Sarah remarked, Tzchayk Asali, the name Elakim that controls nature gave Avram and Sarah cause for, for elation by showing them that they live and exist beyond the laws of, of nature. Right? So let's just bring one more idea and we'll sort of end it up. When he says, Avram's birth was cause for such happiness and his name suggests joy and laughter. Who name him Yitzchak, a name that connotes laughter rather than a name that connotes joy. So in light of this discussion, we can suggest that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wished to teach us that a Jew who engages in Taya and mitzvahs must laugh at and mock the very idea of nature. Instead, he should believe solely in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? who is of course above the realm of nature. Therefore, Sarah remarks, On the one hand, she was expressing her joy, on the other hand, however, she was teaching us to laugh at the idea of nature and to believe that we are dependent solely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu's supervision and control that completely supersedes the laws of, of, of nature. Sarah mentions the word Tzchayk twice in the Pasuk because, yes, while every moment of our existence in this world is is an absolute proof that we live completely beyond nature. The ultimate laughter is going to be the future Geula. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu would sound the shaifer, as it says, right? Blow the big shaifer. And it specifies, Kol whoever hears alluding to those who will be fortunate to hear the sound of the shaifer at the time of future Gula. For at that time, HaKadosh Boku will judge Klai Yisrael and Yitzhak Hakli. They will be joyous and full of laughter on account of Sarah, who was privileged to give birth to Yitzhak, who advocated on behalf of, 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 uh, of, of Klai Yisrael. So that's why the, the week's Pasha begins with the words Vayera Elav Hashem. And we said those four letters, those three letters, Aleph, Vav, hey, allude to the future Gula. It's the greatest yearning, it's the greatest desire. We have that Akashpoku commanded Avminu to perform the mitzvah of Mila one year prior to the birth of Yitzchak as a preparation for that historical birth. And as we learned, the birth of Yitzchak was a preparation for the future Gula, at which time Yitzchak will defend Kaiso by, 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 by pleading for us, because he understands that we live in, in a way that's completely, completely beyond this world and cannot be judged by the standards of this, of this world. And therefore the Pasha opens with an allusion to the future Gula may it arrive very speedily in, in our days. 101.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kedish, Parshas Vayera, Tov Shin Pei Gimel. And for those joining us now, a very, very warm welcome. Thank you for taking the time to be part of our radio family on this beautiful, beautiful Erev Shabbos as we get ready for an amazing Shabbos project, Shabbos, a Shabbos that we're really going to try. And, and make an effort and put special, special emphasis on trying to make this the most beautiful, the most perfect, the most devoted Shabbos. 
that we've done for a long time, and hopefully this will have huge, huge spin-offs, not only for this week, but for all the coming weeks. And Baruch Hashem, as we've been doing for so many years, we learn some of the laws of Shabbos, which helps us to enhance our, our, our keeping of Shabbos, our knowledge of what we have to do, what we can do, what we shouldn't be doing on, on Shabbos. As we always do at this point on the broadcast, to tell you the important times you need to know for this coming Shabbos. So, the earliest time for lighting candles this, uh, this afternoon is at 8 minutes past 5. 5.08 is the earliest time you can light your Shabbos candles. And of course, as this is the Shabbos project, and of course, this week we really want to get the most out of our Shabbos. Let's aim for it. Let's see if we can't start our Shabbos a little bit earlier. We're going to put a little bit more energy now into those last few hours. Get everything ready. Get the food on the hot tray. Again, if you're dealing with with uh, load shedding this afternoon, so then either before Shabbos or as Shabbos starts, I'm sure you have a system of how you can get your food nice and hot and piping ready for, for a beautiful, beautiful meal. So let's, anytime after 5 or 8, you can light your Shabbos candles. The latest time for benching Licht this afternoon is at 6.13. We're almost at our peak. Please, God, next week we'll already be at our 6.15 sort of station. 6.13 is the latest time for benching Licht this, this, uh, this week. And that means that everything must be done. Everything must be ready <clears throat> by, by then. All the food should be, should be hot. The house should be in order. We should actually be dressed. It's nice actually to be dressed and ready when one lights the, the, the Shabbos candles. And then we actually usher in this most beautiful, beautiful, most valued of, of, uh, of, of, of Shabbosas. The, uh, Shkia, uh, sunset is then at 6.31, that's again your absolute injury time if you're really, really desperate and need to get things done uh, before before sunset. That That's your absolute latest uh, deadline. And therefore, if you want to be able to daven mayrev and not have to repeat the Shema, in other words, daven mayrev when it's ready properly night, so then we have to wait until 6.49, so just before 10 minutes to 7, and then you can daven mayrev, say the Shema, fulfill the special mitzvah of reciting the Shema every single night, and then together with your guests and your family, whoever you're spending time with on this beautiful Shabbos project, to sit down, to settle down to a wonderful meal, to a wonderful repast with good people and good and some nice divertura and lots and lots of good good food. And that really is what Shabbos is all about. Time for us to sit and spend time together and talk about the week and talk about things that have impressed us and talk about how we're going to uh, utilize the different situations that Hashem has set before us to grow, to improve, to really make something of every every situation. Tomorrow, of course, is Shabbos Kodesh Pasha's Vayera. It's quite a long, busy, dramatic uh, uh, a Pasha. Lots of things going on. The, the Avraham Avinu and the guests and Saddam and the birth of Yitzchak and, and Yishmael and the Akedah. Lots and lots and lots of things. And of course, it comes together with a very, very special Haftarah from the Book of Kings. Two beautiful, beautiful stories uh, from the life of the prophet uh, Elisha, and uh, one about uh, second one about a woman who is childless, and because she really goes out of her way to help and, and look after and host Elisha, she merits to have to have a a uh, a child. So it's a beautiful, beautiful Shabbat. Lots to learn, lots to talk about, and I'm sure uh, a lot of the shuls will be having special programs tomorrow, and lots of shirim, lots of Torah to learn, lots, so much to to gain, so much to be inspired uh, by. Shabbos afternoon is getting longer and longer. Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night only at six minutes past seven. Seven oh six is the end. Is the end of, of of Shabbos. So we're getting we're getting into our summer kind of kind of a routine, and uh, very very exciting, very very people anticipating you know a bit of a break coming on in about a month in about a month's time. But it's it's just so so fantastic to 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 be part of it. 
Okay, we are talking about again our introduction to the work of of uh, of, of Shabbos, and we we are talking. We spoke about various uh, uh, categories of of work. We spoke about doing a malacha where you never intended to do the actual. Uh, a violation of Shabbos. We spoke about a, a activity that's done, but you don't do it for the same purpose that it was done uh, in the construction of the of, of the Mishkan. So today, let's talk about the fact that the Torah forbade us to do uh, a, any kind of activity whose express purposes to fix something up, to improve something, to change something's status to a more enhanced way, right? As in fact, uh, all the all the malachas that were done in the construction and maintenance of of the mishkan were all done for that purpose. In fact, as the the pasuk says, "La seis komel leches machshavas," to do all sorts of well thought out, well designed. And, and, and well executed, uh, uh, projects of work that were used for constructing the Mishkan. But, uh, if one does some kind of a forbidden activity, but his intention is not constructive, but on the contrary, his intention is to wreck and to destroy, so then he has not violated in so doing a Torah prohibition, however, uh, a, a rabbinic prohibition, even rabbinically, such an activity is forbidden to do on, on, on Shabbos because our rabbis also forbade doing any forbidden Shabbos activity, even if your intent is to do it in a way of, of destruction. And that's in fact, uh, uh, what the, what the Chachamim meant when they quoted in the, uh, in the Mishnah that anyone who does anything that is in any way Destructive, so peturim. They're not going to be obligated on a Torah, on a Torah level. Because we say, <coughs> whenever in the Mishnah and Gemara, we use the word patur, which means exempt, the intention of the Gemara is that you're not going to suffer the punishment that is meted out by the Torah for uh, uh, Shabbos violation. But the very, very act is forbidden from from rabbinic rabbinic law. Therefore, if let's say you tear something, and the purpose of your tearing is so that you can then sew it up, so then you're violating the Torah prohibition of tearing, which is one of the three nam lachas. If you tear something not intending to sew it, so then that's destructive. So then you're violating a rabbinic a rabbinic prohibition. If let's say someone <coughs> would demolish a a house or or some kind of utensil in order to rebuild it uh, uh, in a, in, a, in a superior manner, so then you're violating a Torah prohibition, right? But if someone is uh, demolishes something with no intention of rebuilding it, so then he violates a rabbinic uh, uh, action of of which is like the malacha, but done as a destructive as a destructive uh, activity if someone erases letters in order to write other letters in their place that's again a Torah violation if you just erase something without intending to write then you violate a, a rabbinic uh, uh, action and the same thing would go in terms of the prohibition of lighting a fire if someone lights a fire in order to cook or to warm himself, or for light, or because you need, even because you need the the ashes, so that is a Torah violation. But let's say you let a fire uh, in order to to destroy something, so then that is a, a rabbinic a rabbinic uh, uh, prohibition. Um, we're going to come back with some closing comments in a moment. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Vayera, Tov Shin. Pay Gimel, we are discussing 
different types of activities that are forbidden on Shabbos. We're talking now about things that are, are done for a destructive purpose, to be a melacha, to be something that you're going to be chayef for on a biblical level, you have to do something for a constructive purpose. Let's say, for example, you slaughter, you shecht an animal because you want the the meat or you want the high. So that is a constructive activity and you violate a Torah prohibition, one of the 39 melachas. But let's say you kill just to destroy an animal. So that is only a rabbinic Isser, right? For, for example, uh, if you step on, on little ants, right? And, and you, or you kill, uh, mosquitoes, again, since there's nothing constructive about that, so you're only violating a, a rabbinic, a rabbinic prohibition. Another category of, of, uh, of work is that in order for something to be a Torah violation, it has to be something <clears throat> that is at least, uh, somewhat Permanent, but if it's not going to last, it cannot be a Torah prohibition. So let's say if you write with a pen or a pencil on paper, since generally speaking that lasts for quite a long time, you violate a Torah prohibition. But let's say you write with fruit juice, where the the color is going to dissipate in a very very short time, <clears throat> or you write with a pen, but you write on a on a leaf which is going to dry up and and, and wither, right, in a very, very short uh, uh, time. So, again, you're only violating a rabbinic uh, a prohibition. Let's say you write in the sand, or you write on a frosted a window. Again, since that writing is not going to last very long, it's only a rabbinic uh, a prohibition. Also, let's say you tie a permanent knot. So, you know, that's a, a knot that's going to stand for a, a, a long time. So that's a, a Torah prohibition. But if you make a, a knot, very, very temporary knot, which will only stay for a very, very short time, still not allowed to do it, but again, it's only a rabbinic, uh, a pro- prohibition, right? And if it's, if the, if the knot is so weak, like let's say, uh, uh, just a, a bow or something, or something like that, since they're not going to really last at all, right? Because very, very easy to, to, Untie them, so then there's no prohibition at all to to make them. And let's say also as far as the mlocha, let's say of construction is concerned, right? If let's say you co- uh, connected the, uh, uh, you know, uh, you banged a, a nail into the into the wall, so that's a Torah uh, a prohibition. But if it's something very very temporary and and not even likely to stay for a long time, then again it's only. A rabbinic prohibition. There's lots, lots more to talk about, but unfortunately, our time is up. Just a moment to wish each and every one of you a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. It should be, this Shabbos project should be one that, of the most amazing Shabbosas we ever spend. A Shabbos we really try to keep the right way, do the right things, spend that time in shul with community, with friends, davening, learning, speaking, speaking, inspiring words, and please God, it should be just the catalyst for many, many more Shabbosas that we and the community and the entire city will keep together. Have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos, and thank you for being with us today. Gold.